Our scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, and chapter 24, verses 33 and 34. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Have you ever heard a sweeter voice say stupid before? That was, <laughs> that was just great. <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. Well, at least a third of our time, at least a third of our time is spent in the workplace. And everyone works. Everyone has a workplace, as we established earlier, whether it's your uh, 8 to 4.30 job or school or home or chores, whatever it might be. Let's establish, first of all, why we do work in the first place. Now, keep in mind that, that, as I've said each week with Proverbs, Proverbs tells us that God has created a certain order to things And real wisdom is living according to that order. So with that said, let me say, first of all, why do we work? We work because we are made in the image of God, and God is a working God. God is the very first worker who set the universe into motion. He created all things. He is our example of work. He was involved in every detail of the creative activity. Psalm 104, verse 3 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. And later on, Jesus said, my father is always at work. So work is in our nature. Uh, At at the second Sunday service, the second week that that we were in Cape Town, uh, John Thomas, who has preached here, who helped found Living Hope with his wife Avril, preached a wonderful sermon on work. And he noted and argued persuasively that work is one of the Ten Commandments. If you read Exodus 20, verse 9, and I know you've heard this before, but it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And John recounted how he had always felt that the fourth commandment was about keeping the Sabbath. But then he discovered, really, that the fourth commandment, in reality, is about work and resting from work. And think about it, even when Jesus was challenged about what he did on the Sabbath, he didn't reply with the Sabbath issue, he replied by answering the work issue. found that interesting. So it reads in John 5, verses 16 and 17, so because Jesus was doing, working these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus responded, how? Verse 17, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus himself there is an example of work. So we work because we're made in God's image. Secondly, we work in order to be a witness. Let me just read from 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 11. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not not be dependent on anybody. Again, you work in order to be a witness. People might not ever pick up a Bible, But some of those people will see you at work, and you are called then to be a strong example. Thirdly, we work so we can be self-sufficient. That's really the latter part of the verse that I just read, not being dependent. Getting too dependent starts to make you feel entitled and owed. Uh, I love the paraphrase in the message version of 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13, where Paul is commenting on people who are getting lazy because they think that the second coming is just around the corner, so they're not working. 
And I love the paraphrase. It says, don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately, no excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Friends, don't slack off in doing your duty. And so we work so we can be self-sufficient and not be dependent. And finally, we work to help the truly needy, those who cannot find work, those who are struggling, those who cannot help themselves. Ephesians 4.28 says, get an honest job, an honest job, so that you can help others who can't work. So again, we work for those reasons. Now, what does Proverbs specifically tell us about work? And guess what? Last week, a lot of people appreciated us having an insert because I refer to a lot of passages, particularly in Proverbs. And if you look in your order of worship, uh, I have come up with, based on my studies on work in Proverbs, the Ten Commandments of Wisdom at Work. Do you see that in the dark red section? And I would encourage you to follow along. And again, as some uh, talked about this morning, uh, I would encourage you to take this home and look at it, put it up on the fridge or whatever, uh, just to, as a reminder about work and what Proverbs has to say about it. So first of all, what are the Ten Commandments of Wisdom at Work? And let me just hit these in order. And by the way, I know there are ten don't wig out. Give me 15 minutes. We're, we're going to nail this thing, okay? So here we go. Number one, take the initiative, or you could say be an army rat. Look at Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. You need an, an ant as an example. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Stop waiting for somebody else to do something for you. You, like an ant, should just take the initiative. You don't even have an overseer necessarily, but you do it anyway. Have you ever been in a department store? You go up and ask somebody a question, and they'll say, well, that's not my department. That's not my job. I don't know. Take the initiative. I really liked what uh, uh, Jim Giffen said about Sister Catherine, I think was her name. Just that uh, she told him, it's, it's okay not to know the answer. It's important to know where to find the answer. And it made me think of Colonel Fields who goes here, used to be on staff here for senior adults. Uh, When he was an officer in the army, if he was ever asked by a a higher-up officer or anyone else if he knew the answer to something, if he didn't know the answer, he didn't say, I don't know. Or he he didn't say, I'm sorry. He didn't say, go ask so-and-so. He would always say, I do not know, but I will find out and let you know. Again, that's showing initiative. You know, that's being proactive. That's being a good, I guess, colonel was an army ant in a way, being in the army. So, again, take the initiative. Secondly, fight laziness. And this really goes on from the passage that I just read, verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. I really appreciated Ray Pierce afterwards. You've heard of Pierce, Bevel, Leesburg, and more. And Ray is in the first uh, hour. And he came up and, and just said, you know, that reminded me. He said, and apparently whenever he interviews somebody for a job at his, at his firm, one question he always says is, okay, do you have a, and he always said, do you have a significant other? Okay. Do you ever go up to that person or when you were courting that person, did you ever say, what is the least I can do for you to have you love me? And people would laugh and just think that's totally absurd. He said, well, it's just as absurd if that's the attitude you bring into work. What is the least I can do 
to really work and show that I have really produced. You've got to fight laziness and defeatism. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, God sends every bird his food, but he doesn't throw it into the nest. You know, you can't be sluggish. Think about this. When have you felt most alive in your life? Was it when you were just lying on the couch watching TV, uh, flipping around with the remote? Or, or was it when you accomplished something? You know, uh, you, you made it to commencement. You made it to graduation. You helped open a new store. You know, you finished some writing project. It could be anything like that. And i got to say, and I mentioned this the first hour, uh, I love, and I'm not doing a commercial, but he's really good. Tommy Rector. Tommy, are you in here? Tommy does landscaping for us, and he's really good. And I love watching him boss his brother around. That's a lot of fun, too. But he's great at it. And I have so much fun when I will pull in, and he's out there, you know, blowing leaves or raking or, or picking stuff up, whatever it is, and he's just got this smile on his face. He loves it. He's getting after it. And then he steps back and looks what he's done. And it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good when you see what you've done. And I just love watching that. Well, we're the same way, whether we're doing landscaping or, or whatever. When you see the finished product of something that's been the result of a lot of your hard work, that's when you feel alive. It's not when you're just lounging around being sluggish. You've got to see laziness for what it is, which it is destructive. Look at Proverbs 19.15 there. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. What that's trying to say in our modern day is laziness has terrible consequences. And if you start to feel sluggish, if it's harder to begin the day, pray for God's help. I know that's real basic, but that's even what Jesus did. You remember when Jesus was going to the Garden of Gethsemane? You talk about a time when he felt wrung out and could have been sluggish. He even told the disciples who went with him, the spirit is willing, but the, can anybody fill in the blank? The flesh is weak. And what did he do? He prayed. He prayed to be strengthened. Well, we can do the same thing. Thirdly, set priorities. You ever heard plan your work, then work your plan? That's really what it's talking about here. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And it's interesting how this word is understood back then about haste or being hasty. First of all, don't be distracted by the easy way to go. Trying to, to skip over some plans, leapfrog over some of the things you need to do in order to accomplish this task. Some people always want to go the quick way, the easy way, but that can so lead to disappointment, failure, destruction. Don't be distracted by trying to find the easy way out. And secondly, don't be distracted by criticism. Part of what this is saying is you might wind up acting in a hasty fashion because other people are criticizing you and you start panicking and trying to do it a different way. No, as this says, stay the course. Stay the course. I could talk a lot about criticism. You know, I always learned, you know, if it's justified, benefit from it. If it's not, forget about it. And, and sometimes you should just forget about it. And, and I've shared this story before, but I've always loved the story about this Australian, Austrian, rather, Austrian violinist who gave a concert one night uh, in a concert hall, and the next morning in the newspaper there was just this scathing critique by this music critic, just raked this guy over the coals, and he was downcast for days, didn't go outside or anything. A wonderful famous violinist named Sibelius heard about this, and he walked over to the man's house and knocked on his door, the man who was still crestfallen opened the door, and, and Sibelius just waved a finger in his face. He said, my son, remember, there is no statue that's ever been erected for a critic. Think about that. I thought that was good. 
I know of no statue that's ever been erected in honor of a critic. So keep that in mind. Don't be distracted by finding the easy way or by criticism because, and most of us in here know this, if you have a leadership position of any kind, welcome to criticism. It's there, but don't let it get the best of you. Stay the course with your priorities. Uh, Set the priorities. Remember what's most important, what needs to be done first. Look at Proverbs 24, 27. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. It's just saying follow through with your priorities the way you should in an orderly fashion. Also, don't put your trust in some scheme where you can avoid working hard for something. How many people have been ripped off by... (laughs) pyramid schemes or something like, you know, something that that tells you it's going to, you know, I can make it a whole lot easier for you. Don't give in to that because usually it's a fantasy to think you don't have to put in a strong work ethic. Look at Proverbs 12, 12, 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. It's a fantasy to think you can get ahead without a good work ethic. Fourthly, pick the right people to work with. Proverbs 10, 26. This is figurative here, but it makes sense. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. Uh, Vinegar in the mouth or smoke in the eyes is very irritating, very annoying. You pick and send the wrong people out there to do your work, and they really don't apply themselves, that's irritating as well. Pick and send the right people to work with. Don't settle for somebody who doesn't apply themselves, doesn't build upon your work, your ideas along with you. You know, Jesus himself was careful in his selection, not just of friends, we talked about that that last week, but these were people who were going to fulfill his commission. Think about that. He was careful in selecting his co-workers. Get it right the first time. Fifthly, be generous. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 18, 16, a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Be, be generous, and if you're in a position where you can determine, you know, this person deserves a monetary reward, a raise or something, be generous with that if they deserve it. But let me say, Proverbs has a lot to say about words and what we say to other people. And we need to remember to reward people and be generous with the words we speak. Proverbs 12, 18. Is that on there? Proverbs 12, 18. If it's not, it should be. It's not, but let me read it. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but a tongue of wise, the wise brings healing. Let me read it again. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but a tongue of the wise brings healing. That's so needed, needed in the workplace, whatever your workplace might be. There was a study in 2004 and it's been replicated now by the Gallup Group. And they discovered, after surveying millions of Americans, that two out of three Americans have not received a word of encouragement at their job site in the last 12 months. Now, I want you to think about that. They have never heard a word of encouragement or affirmation in the last year. It's pretty amazing. They can't think of a time where they received that. So the Gallup group was like, well, how can we do better with this? And I'll just offer one. They said, don't be so general. Even when you give compliments, you're not being totally generous if you just say, hey, attaboy, girl, good job. No, be very, very specific. Say, you're doing a great job when you do this, because this is how it helps the company. This is how it helps our group. This is how it helps us accomplish what we need to accomplish. And we've all had times where we have felt unnoticed, unappreciated, And we need encouragement. What is it? I think it's 10 words of praise for every one word of criticism. 
And we need to look for reasons to affirm others. Six, learn from the best. I think you need to flip it over to the other side. I think it says learn from the best people. I need to qualify that and just say learn from the best because this includes God who is the best. Proverbs 13, 20 says walk with the wise and become wise. In other words, if you walk with the wise, you will become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, learn from the best. Jim Giffen, a few moments ago, talked about people who were older than him, his grandmother and sister Catherine, that he learned from them. Uh, You can also learn from people who are your peers, who are just really good at what they do or good at handling certain situations. It goes really back to what we talked about last week about iron sharpening iron, which is another wonderful proverb. Proverbs 16.20 says, Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. I like that because find out you know, who's doing things right, learn from them, learn from their instruction, but ultimately learn from the one whom you can trust most of all, who's doing it all right in the end, and that's God himself. Seventh, invest in the best resources. Proverbs 14.4 says, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvest. Now, you have to really translate that into modern day. It means invest in the best. In this sense, invest in the best oxen, But it's really invest in whatever resources you need, whether it's consultants or equipment or software or trainers or whatever it might be. Invest in the best you can find. Proverbs 27, 23 reminds us not to skimp as we invest in the best. 27, 23 says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. What that's saying is invest in good resources and manage them wisely. Don't skimp. Number eight, see, we're already at number eight. Do the right thing. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Now, are some people who are uh, trustful of riches and who are deceitful, are they sometimes going to gain more monetarily? Yes. They will pay for it in the long run. If they don't do what's right morally, they'll pay for it, they'll be exposed for it, whether now or trust me later on. We don't need to be cutting corners or cooking numbers or using others. Wicked people can get rich, but they can also get ulcers and and divorces and bad reputations. Again, we need to be seeking Christ's praise and affirmation. Deception will catch up with you at some point, so do the right thing. You can talk about doing the right thing, but it's a whole other thing to walk it. As you know, we know many titans of business who have been led away in handcuffs and again, you will pay for it now or later. And you shouldn't fudge the numbers. You should have a clear, it's good to have a real clear conscience and to do it the way Christ wants you to. It reminds me of a man who listened to a sermon like this and he went home thinking about his tax return and he got convicted about it. So he sent a letter to the IRS with a check for 150 bucks. But he attached a letter to the check and he said, I heard this sermon on deceit and I was convicted. I just couldn't sleep. So here's a check for $150, and he closed by saying, if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest of the money. And so do the right thing in all seriousness. Seek Christ's praise and approval. Number nine, don't fear failure. So important. And Jim alluded to this. Don't fear failure. Proverbs 22, 13. One of my favorite Proverbs. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. (laughs) What is that saying? Stop fearing failure. Don't make excuses. Oh, it just won't work. It just, no, you know what? God's not going to leave you. Be of good courage. Life is an adventure. 
You may have heard that statement, fear knocked on the door and faith answered and no one was there. Faith is so strong that fear can vanish. So conduct your work and your ambition with that kind of faith. And failure could be good. Failure can be a really good learning experience and it makes you better the next go round. So don't fear it. Do not fear failure or make up ex- crazy excuses like these. Finally, remember your primary goal. Remember your primary goal. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Is it to make money, get fame, or is it to help people? And as you ponder these Proverbs, do it for this reason. Your workplace really is, is in some ways, your main mission field. I mean, at least a third of your life takes place there. You know, we spend time with family and with friends and here at church, but this is your chance to touch others for Christ in a powerful way. And you don't do it for promotions or profit or accolades. You know, you're there to be a witness. You are there to, as the old hymn says, let others see Jesus in you. You're to be salt and light. Now, here at Brookwood, we do a lot of mission trips. I'm so glad Tim mentioned the group that's at Fort Payne as we speak that's here. Many of them would normally be here. But again, we do a lot of mission trips. We take on a lot of mission projects. Uh, We do a lot of mission work. But do you see your workplace as a mission field? When you get up in the morning, whether your workplace is, is 25 steps away or 25 miles or even further, do you see yourself going to a mission field as you head to that workplace? You indeed are a preacher yourself. Whether by word or example, I think of Moses in Numbers chapter 11 where he says, I wish all of God's people would act like prophets because that's what we're called to do. We've got to be so wary of our example. Wasn't that a powerful image that Jim Giffen gave us at the end? I mean, what does that say to a Jew about the church of Jesus Christ when six days a week they see people going to a gas chamber, the seventh day the commandant and his family go to a Christian Church. I know that that's an extreme example, but what do other outsiders, what do other unbelievers see in us in the way that we conduct ourselves? Do they see us really living this out, or are we really living overly hypocritically? I know we're all hypocrites, but are we overdoing our hypocrisy as we are at the workplace? Can we not find ways that show people that we have something worth asking about? Which leads me to the final verse, which is actually from Colossians. Do you see that at the bottom right-hand corner, Colossians 3, 17? Just as we close, I'd love for us to read that together if we could. Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, so often in the workplace we have let you down. We have not really abided by these words that whatever we do, wherever we might be, particularly in the workplace, O oh God, do we do it in your name and do we give you the glory? Make us better workers, not just for the sake of being more productive or gaining more things or gaining more acclaim. Help us to be good workers so that we glorify you, that others do see you in us. Help us to trust that indeed your Holy Spirit resides in us, and because of that, you can be working in and through us. So make us better laborers for you in your kingdom, that others might come into the kingdom, O God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.